Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Baker's Comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the pen penultimate episode of Hey Kids Comics. Is we it? Are, we, yeah, yeah, this is the third from last. Oh, okay. So then it's penultimate, and then ultimate, because that's what the last one will be, the ultimate episode. The ultimate experience. The ultimate experience, the ultimate trip, the ultimate ride, the ultimate everything. Nothing will be ever better than this. You may as well end yourself now. Okay. <laughs> I should have one of those things goes at the end like they do on adverts, shouldn't they? Does not actually advocate ending yourself. You can't speak fast enough. <laughs> does like... not actually advocate ending yourself. Anyway, we got some good stuff tonight. So before we get to the good stuff, let's do the prelude to the good stuff. Let's do the appetizer, the aperitif. Right. To the main course that is eight issues of Hitman. Here they are, all eight of them. Proper comics. None of this digital filth for me. Apart from when I do do digital filth because I, I actually quite like digital. But in you, this you instance, do, you do do digital filth. I do do digital filth. You just made me say do do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple of emails. We'll squeeze through emails. A couple of places I've crammed two emails into one. Right. A couple of places I've edited, because like I say, we want to try and get through as many as possible before the end is now. Gabriel Jimenez is on a tour, because he's emailed, hello friends, hello Gabriel. This episode was somewhat unexpected. Oh, he's talking about the Green Arrow episode. Right. You had obviously made reference to it in the previous show, but I wouldn't have thought you'd be covering such an obscure mini, especially considering the end is nigh. Not that it was a bad thing. I've always liked that you keep your listeners on our collective toes on the subjects that you cover. We'll always get our healthy dose of Batman and Spider-Man, but aside from those two staples, it literally is anything goes. Very refreshing. Well, there is a reason for that. Right. That we've we've always tried. Hey, it has to be something we're interested in. Apart from when we did those couple of shows where people actually said, "Please do some Transformers." Oh um, yeah. And we were like, "We don't know anything about Transformers. Why would you want us to do a show about which we know nothing?" Back when we could do anything, but, we had that freedom. But people people seem to like that idea. But one of the things with being on TTF is that you have to actually put some thought into doing something that they're all not going to do. Yeah. And sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes you end up with crossover. There's not really a lot you can do about that. Ultimately, we're all pissing in the same pool, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, ideally. But the reason for having the Anything Goes approach is, you know, we get up, we get up tomorrow and want to talk about why the last man. Or man thing. Yeah. Or comics in the 70s. And that was that was what we tried to do with the show. We could, we could do anything we wanted. Mm-hmm. And did. Yeah. I don't think you'll find another podcast on the Two True Freaks Network that does Metal Gear Solid. That, yeah, that is true. 
I'm making us stand out from the crowd. You are indeed, yes. So that's why it was anything goes. We never said no to anything, did we? No, we did not. We did not. I, I, I served some jail time because of that. <laughs> well, that was your fault, dude. We even covered Obsessed with Marvel. Okay. That game, do you remember us playing that? Mm, what game? The, I got it cheap from oh, the Oh, right, yeah. And then we played yeah. that game for about ten minutes at the beginning of an episode. Yeah, we did. We should bring that back for the finale. We, In we fact, should. screw what we were going to cover should for be the last the episode. We'll just play that for 90 minutes. That, yeah. <laughs> That would actually be good. Mm. I think that would be fun. Maybe we should do that. Anyway, Gabriel continues. I was not familiar with the Green Arrow Mini. As I mentioned in my previous email, I haven't been exposed to Ollie prior to the 90s, so your review was all new to me. As usual, most excellent recap of the story. The clarity with which you cover the issues help out the most when one hasn't read the material. And it seemed to be a good read. Well, you're very welcome. Synopsises are a pain in the backside, aren't they? Are they? Yeah. I find them a pain in the I backside. Have, I have fun writing Do you? That. I try and have some fun with it. And in, some case, in some cases, it's easy when you're taking the pace. Yeah. Like with All-Star Batman and Robin. That was quite an easy one to do. I but when you do a hit, man, this was quite hard work, this one. Right. I, I end up getting to the point where I'm just writing the story out well, in I, my own words. Because so. it's a synopsis. It's not supposed to be all the four paragraphs. I, I like to give all the subtle... Yeah. You like to and go for that. Alright, okay. Yeah, that would explain why I fell asleep in a couple of your synopsises. <laughs> yeah, Gabriel I don't continues. have to do the show, you know. You do, you, well, you do. You're not quitting now. Three from the end. You can go the course. Stay the distance. Whatever. No easy way out. No. Oh, no short no way down. Short way down. <laughs> Are they the words? I think so. Gabriel continues, stories that put the main character in unusual and unfamiliar situations can be fun when handled properly. And seems like this was mostly the case here. Likewise, your coverage of Danger Girl was just as unexpected. In fact, it's been such a long time since I even remembered the series, or J. Scott Campbell, and to think the impact this had when it first came out. Danger Girl was part of Cliffhanger Comics, coming out of Wildstorm, back when it was still under Image. That sounds pretty confusing. Giving Image's history at this time, I wouldn't have known Danger Girl actually had an ending. I never really gravitated towards the cheesecake side of the artistic spectrum. Books that highlighted that, especially during the bad girl craze of the 90s, didn't really focus on story and characterisation, so I mostly steed clear of them. So I never gave Danger Girl much of a chance. Seeing it as a light, fast-paced, fun and pretty romp, it might be worth checking out. Laters, Gabriel. Well, thank you, Gabriel, for emailing in. He's been quite prolific recently. Mm-hmm. Gabriel, you can write in as well when, when we're done, if you want. If you want to make up shows, All pretend right. we covered stuff, like Chris Franklin's going to do. Yeah. That, that would be pretty awesome. Speaking of Chris Franklin, guess who the next email's from? Uh, Luke Giaconetta. Yay! No, it is actually <laughs> from Chris. But I see what you did, though. Yes. I'm very impressed with that. Hello, Leyland. Hello, Christopher. You guys are killing me! No, literally, I have. <laughs> All this talk of ending the show is truly depressing me. The only thing that's helping me cope is Andy mentioning he's going to cover the Lee Ditko Spider-Man over at the Palace of Glittering Delight. See, the reason I said it is because I've said it, I now have to do it. Right. Because it's out there now. And I really do want to do it. I'm, ga- I'm gagging. Gung-ho. Mad for it. Okay. Mad for doing Lee Ditko You're going to do a Romita sequel? I may very well do a Romita sequel. In fact, why don't I just turn Palace into that Spider-Man show I always wanted to do? Yeah. <laughs> Now that you're not here to go, God. Uh, where are we? Since we both fell in love with those 80s Marvel Tales run, says Chris, I'm totally on board and I'm itching to hear it. Well, we don't mean to depress you mm-hmm. in terms of, of the end, but how often in life do you get to choose an ending? That is true. How often do you get to choose how you go out? 
Yeah. You don't, do you? It's pre- decisions like that are frequently taken out of your hands. Yeah. So this was our opportunity to end on a high note. Hopefully. I mean, the last episode yeah. may suck. I, know, well, I might lose like, that obsession Marvel game. <laughs> yes, and that, what, that would if be you a lost at that, what would happen? I you would. would st- uh, last episode with him, were you storming off in a hole? Quit the show. <laughs> Never come back. Well, that, that works out well, so we'll save it for the last <laughs> one. And if that happens, it really matter, does it? Exactly, yeah. So, anyway, that's the reason for ending it. I don't. I didn't. Michael, this is your chance to go off and be who you want to be. Be who anyone you want to be. Yeah, okay. I didn't want him to be beholden to us doing this over Skype every Thursday night. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So, I, I found, and besides, where would you get the comics from? That digital. Would I have what? to post them to you? Yeah. <laughs> and then get them back. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we, we don't mean to. Don't look at it as a depressing thing, Chris. Look at it as a good thing. All things end. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I like it when we stuff ends. We can either end on a high note yeah. or stay and drag it out. Yeah, we've, be any fun. yeah we've not pod yeah, we've not fell out with each other and vowed never to talk to each other again. Mm-hmm. We've not just got bored of it and can't be bothered. It's mm. it's we're ending it where we want to end it because you can't be asked with it. I, I can't. I, it'd be <laughs> no fun if you're not here. And what am I going to do? Sit here and talk to myself for an hour and a half every Thursday night. Oh, you don't do that already, though. Do you? <laughs> I do do that. Already. You, know, you know what your mum should do? Your mum should just take one of my shower conversations and put it out every week. The Spiderman doesn't need a drink. <laughs> Yeah, that was an actual conversation. Yeah, that was an actual conversation I had with myself in the shower. <laughs> you and your mum sat outside pissing yourself laughing. Yeah, you know the best thing about that? I don't remember them. Yeah, I know which is really weird. <laughs> you, you two were laughing, pissing yourself laughing. I came out. So, so what was that all about? And I'm like, what? Yeah, it's like you switch off and just go into autopilot. Just let Tyler Durden come out. <laughs> so is that what you're saying? I'm really Bruce Banner. Yeah, and, and Brad Pitt's my alter ego. If you're going to have an alter ego, why not let it be Brad Pitt? It wouldn't be Brad Pitt. <laughs> if I had an alter ego, it would. No, no. It wouldn't be Brad Pitt, no. I don't want that many kids for a start. <laughs> anyway, uh, Chris's email continues. Speaking of Marvel Tales, that's where I first read Doctor Strange's origin as well. This was like an acid trip dropped into a Spidey comic. I too hope the Strange film catches the feel of the early Ditko works and that Cumberbatch's Stephen Strange starts out as a true bastic. Whilst we're talking Spidey, I'm glad I'm not the only one who holds What If issue 46 in such high regard. Partially because I was reading those Marvel Tales Lee Ditko reprints at the time, this one fit right into my Spidey mindset, and the story, and in particular Frenzy's near-perfect Ditko impersonation, worked that much better. I really enjoyed Johns' early issues of Green Lantern, and actually lost interest when it got so mired in one endless, world-shattering storyline after another. You can track the downfall of modern comics through this title, in my opinion. Issue 9 was a lot of fun, and one of the very few times a-hole Batman was justified. It was nice to see him and Hal kind of bury the hatchet, and that GL Batman suit was pretty damn cool. It's easy to forget now, but David's solution to all the various hulks really was quite original and shocking at the time. Mantlo had floated many of these ideas, but it took David to put it all together. The apex of his long run, for sure. I now have quite a few comics to look for based on these recommendations. That FF annual, in particular, sounds intriguing. Looking forward to the rest of your list and the final episodes. No pressure, Chris. Are you feeling any pressure? No. You don't look like you feel any pressure. I never feel any pressure. You don't ever, you don't, do you? No. You don't get stressed, do you? You don't do the stress thing. Uh, it gets you no one. That's too, it gets you a couple of days off work. Oh, okay. 
but that's not really a problem for you, is it? It's yeah. not. It works, yeah. Fine. I just find that if you don't need to sleep, what's the point in getting stressed? That's true. Now, with that mindset, you will eventually sleep, if whether you want to or not. Yeah, alright. That's a very, um, yeah. very philosophical outlook that you've got on, on stressful life. That's why you've got to be an artist, isn't it? It is. You've got to be just, a starving artist. I just don't stress. Whenever I think, is this a stressful situation, I say no. <laughs> Even when it is. <laughs> Even when it Have is. Have you ever come across a situation that was, in fact, stressful and you've gone, eh, I can't be bothered? Yeah. Uh, when? See, I have plenty of times in college. Every single deadline should be stressful, but being in denial... <laughs> It's and staying up till 2am on the day of the deadline. 2am, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there were many a time you were still up when I got up, weren't you? Yeah. Just putting the finishing touches on your, your project. Yeah. And then off you went. To bed. Having to not college. slept. Into college. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Anyway. Oh, one more email tonight. We'll do one more. I think that's good, isn't it? All right. Katie Williams has emailed in. Always nice to hear from Katie. So long and thanks for all the fish. Oh, it's a bye email. Oh, these are, these make me well up. Did it? Yeah, but it's not a sad moment. It's a happy moment. It's a happy ending. It's so a good ha- ending. Happy tears. Happy tears. Tears of joy. I really hope this gets in on time. Well, Katie, you've made it with two weeks to spur. So that was good, wasn't it? At least before Michael leaves for uni. I'm a lurking listener most of the time. As a fairly new comic fan, at least for the big two. Hellboy, I can talk about for hours. I don't really have much to say. But I've enjoyed listening so much, I couldn't not write in as the show closes. Really, I just want to say thank you both so much for your well-thought-out and in-depth coverage. For all the jokes, good, bad, and possibly my favourite, dirty, and for being so much more welcoming and accessible for new fans coming late to the party than so many others. Not once while listening have I felt bad for not knowing something already, or worse, like the fake geek girl. My weeks will have a little less laughter without your voices in it. Oh, isn't that sweet? Mm-hmm. Anyone who calls you a fake geek girl, Katie's a wanker. We've always tried to be inclusive, haven't we? I think. Yeah, it's not like we can turn people down. We don't. We don't know our <laughs> listeners. We don't know who listens. Exactly. <laughs> That's very true. We've always tried to be inclusive, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I'm glad that that was appreciated. And uh, you made me a little bit tearer. That will. I, I can, Policy glitter and delights isn't going anywhere. Go and listen to that. True, but the talent <laughs> of the show. Is. <laughs> Is this like when Michael Douglas left the streets of San Francisco and nobody watched then? You're Michael Douglas, is that what you're saying? Yeah, You're okay. quitting a top-rated show at the height of its powers and then no one else is watching it? Yeah. You have no idea what the streets of San Francisco is, I, do you? I don't. I'm just following along. <laughs> do you know who Michael Douglas is? No. He's an Ant-Man. Oh, right. Oh, hey, right, right, okay. In yeah. the 70s, he was in a cop show called The Streets of San Francisco. Right, okay. He was replaced in that show by Richard Hatch, Captain right. Apollo in Battlestar Galactica. Okay. He was free to do Battlestar Galactica because The Streets of San Francisco tanked after Michael Douglas left. Right. Okay. All right, but it's not a situation like you're the ginger guy who left NYPD Blue or whatever it was called. No. No. Uh, what was his name? Caruso. David Caruso. Yeah. I didn't grow up in the 70s, I don't know. That was the 90s, dude. That show went from strength to strength after he left. Right, okay. Fat fat Dennis Franz had about three or four partners in that show after Caruso left. He had Jimmy Smith, you know, Princess Leia's dad. Right, okay. He was a partner for a bit. And uh, I'm pretty sure the champ's kid, Rick Schroeder, he was a partner for a bit. And Saved by the Bell bloke, Paul Mark Gossamer, Gossamer Thread. Him. <laughs> he was he was a uh, partner for a bit now. Right, okay. So, you know, I know my crap TV. I, I don't put it past <laughs> you. We have to watch it. 
<laughs> That's very true. Uh, Katie concludes, on the other hand, my bank balance and diet would probably not like to thank you. So I've gone from picking up maybe five comics in a month to having 25 in my Comicsology purchase list for August. All that being said, I hope you have an amazing time at uni, Michael, and hopefully I'll get to meet you guys at a local event someday. Katie. Well, we're local events. We're definitely going to um, the Lake District one. Yeah. The Lakes Comic Festival. Mm-hmm. Because I want to meet Darwin Cook. And Dave McKean. And is Dave McKean there? He is. And who else was there who I was interested in? Stuart Immerman. Yeah. Stuart Immerman's there as well, so that's a definite. Thought Bubbles on the bubble. Hey. Hey, you'll be there. Uh, yeah, I don't with know you. if it's this year or next year, I'll be definitely there, but I'll probably go anyway. Right, with your course. Because I'm selling the comics and I'm doing Wow, course, well, that's yeah. cool. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll just pop down just for see you. Fair enough. So that'll be because there's nobody going this this year. I'm interested in seeing. Yeah, we've not seen. Before. Yeah, so so I'm definitely going the lakes one. And do you know what? You know, yeah. yesterday I discovered there's a Blackpool Comic Con. Right. On the date. The Blackpool, you, Blackpool, Blackpool Comic Con. Yeah, I didn't hold that much hope myself. <laughs> Clara's going to be there. All right. Jenna Louise Coleman's going to be there. Yeah. So that was that trip, was trip to Blackpool. That was a bit of a stiffener. But <laughs> the the real thing, the real thing that I got interested in that I showed your mum about was um, they were going to have the biggest exhibition of Space 1999 actual models right. ever. The okay, Eagles cool. are all going to be there, the Moonbase Alpha model, and all of it was going to be there. You know what day it is? What? The day I've got to take you to uni. I shouldn't... Right, I can choose a late time. <laughs> I can go see Clara and then drop myself Would you off. Would you just go all that way just to see Clara? Well, kind of, yeah. yeah. It's Blackpool, it's not out of my way. She's from Blackpool. Is she? So for her, it's probably just like roll out of bed. Right, but okay. go and make 300 quid a signature. Right. You know, why the iron's hot, why right, she's yeah. the, the current companion for the Doctor. Don't blame her, do you? No. I'd sign people's pictures for... What's it? Yeah. It's only, it only gets a bit unnerving when they actually tell you, yeah, your pictures make me warm inside. That's probably a bit spooky, isn't it? <laughs> right, OK, so <laughs> I don't say that to her. No, 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 no. You just be really polite and really nice. And you're about her age. Am I? She's only eight years older than you. That's nothing. Oh, OK. And just think about bragging rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I pulled Jenna Coleman. Way! Uh, and yeah, and Katie says her favourite jokes were the dirty ones. Katie was the only wrote in saying how much she, she liked dick. Alright, right, okay. Our dick, I meant our dick jokes. Right, of course. And Dick yeah. Grayson, how much she loved Dick Grayson. Yeah. No, she loves dick. I'll shut up now, and uh, we'll play a trailer, and when we come back, Tommy Monaghan is the hitman. It lives. Master, it's night again. Beautiful, dark, silent night. With the fog creeping in. Time for you to awaken, Master. Time for you to go out. Something terrible has happened. You dared open the bar door. Believe me when I say that what you're doing places yourself and the rest of your party in the gravest danger. Inside lie monsters, greater than your worst nightmares. They were all evil in life, and remained evil after death. And now, the terror is loose upon the podcasting world, again. It's not in my power to help you. You're the only one that understands. Nobody else in the world will believe me. This September and October, 
dare to visit Supermate's estates, to walk the halls in this hall of horror, this abode of angst. Return to the House of Frankenstein. Legends of classic horror spread their evil, but fear not, for your favorite heroes are here to challenge them. Do me a favor, Shaggy. <laughs> Beware these masters of the macabre. Bella Lugosi. Your fate is to be what you are, as mine is to be what I am. Lon Chaney Jr. There's a curse upon me. I change into a wolf. Christopher Lee. I am come unto thee, O Osiris, who art cleansed of all impurities. Peter Cushing. Consequences? That sounds like a threat. And Ingrid Pitt. You must die! Everybody must die! Is Supermates Comic.blogspot.com production coming soon to an iTunes near you? Return to the house of Franklin Stein. They are just dying to greet you. Hitman was a dirty little secret that nobody expected much from. Spinning out of the long-forgotten Bloodlines crossover, the titular Hitman, Tommy Monaghan, cropped up first in writer Garth Ennis' Demon series, before debuting in his own series in early 1996. The comics landscape of the late 1990s was a weird place, with a lot of comics with blood in the title, such as Bloodshot, Bloodpool, and Blood in My Stool. If you wanted to be cool in the 90s, apparently copious amounts of blood were required. Although, if you do have blood in your stool, I urge you to see a doctor. Most of the comics were filled with girls with big boobs and men with big guns. And blood. Lots and lots of blood. Like, carry levels of blood. Right. Doesn't men with big guns and lots of blood end up with... Well, erections. <laughs> I don't want to know. Especially if the girls have big boobs. That is true, yeah. In the image comics of the time. <laughs> It's not that the 90s didn't have good comics, it did, quite a few in fact, but the overall impression of the era now is one of all the comics companies trying desperately to be cool with cookie-cutter characters and concepts. And blood, obviously. But Hitman was a dirty little secret for a reason. Nobody expected it to be good. Bloodlines was one of DC's attempts to be one of the aforementioned Cool Kids, an annual event that consisted of titles such as Bloodbath and characters like the Blood Pack. If this all reeks of trying too hard, just consider some of the characters involved. Ballistic, Gunfire, Edge, Loose Cannon, and my favourites, Shadow Strike with a Y, and Razor Sharp. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love the 90s. It was not, it has to be said, DC Comics' finest hour. And any comic that spun out of this meth gave off a distinct whiff of mediocrity. It will come as no surprise to you, lovely listener, that none of them were any good, and all of them flopped. Except Hitman. Well, it didn't flop, but it wasn't exactly a hit, either. 
Because Hitman came out of bloodlines, most people ignored it, so it carried on being an undiscovered gem in the DC pantheon. It was dark, funny, over-the-top, touching, and above all, charming, despite its odd concept. Whilst Tommy Monaghan gained X-ray vision powers in the Bloodline series, he rarely used them, instead preferring to just do his job, which was killing people for money. Hey, it's a living. Writer Garth Ennis and artist John McCrea instead chose to focus on character. The hitman who, as a good Catholic boy, only kills bad people. His best friend, Nat the Hat, and all the crew of Noonan's Bar, a group of nerdwells who nevertheless provided the series with some of its best moments. Yet despite the camaraderie and occasional silliness, Hitman felt real. Well, as real as the DCU can, anyway. The stakes were high and often fatal, with members of the cast unceremonially and fatally being bumped off from the beginning of the series. And unlike other comics of the time, these deaths stuck. It added to the overall tone of the series that no matter how black the humour or how ridiculous the situation, zombie seals anybody, these people dealt in lead. And make no mistake... They were under no illusions. When their hand came up, lead would put them down. Zombie seals made you chuckle. I remember that one, yeah. yeah. Zombie night at the Gotham Aquarium or something. Yeah. For 52 issues, Garth Ennis and co. danced to their own tune, weaving their tales of black humour and male friendship, getting away with as much as DC editorial would allow. But, as with all men who live on the edge, eventually they fall off. Such was the case with the hitman. The clarion call, the end, was nigh. Sales weren't good. Closing time, an eight-issue story arc running through issues 53 through 60 and cover dated September 2000 to April 2001 would signal the end of the series. Issue 53's cover sees Tommy under heavy fire, fleeing for his life as he fires back at his unseen assailants. It lays out the stakes for this final story arc. Tommy relentlessly pursued his back against the wall. Um, I'm going to ask you what I think of the covers, because that's what we do every yeah. every week for the past uh, 247 weeks at this point. But they're all pretty much of a muchness, these. Yeah. With the exception of the final issue. None of them stand out. No, none of them are really McCrea's best work. True. And all of them are rather bland and generic, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I love John McCrea, I love his work in this series, and he's a lovely bloke. He is. Because we've met him... Um, and I have a sketch. And you have a Hitman sketch, yeah, that he did for you at so one of the very first... It was Bix. Bix convention, one of the first ones that we all went to as a family, wasn't it? I think it? it was the first one. Was it? Yeah. And he was really nice and everything, but none of these covers really stand out, do they? No. They're not awful, they mm. do the job, but they're not as uniform as Preacher, the yeah. covers that led up to the end of Preacher. And you don't want to say they're not good, because they are. Mm. But every one of them, I think, we're just going to say the same thing. So we may as well just get it out of the way now, for all of them. All of them are alright, all of them are good, all of them do the job. But there's nothing spectacular about them until you get to the final issue. Which is pretty damn good, isn't it? Mm. Are you in agreement with that? I am, So you're happy with that discussion of the covers for the rest of the episode to not bother with? Yeah. Alright, fair enough. The story, Closing Time, Part 1. Maggie Lorenzo flees to the only man who ever helped her, pursued by men in black. 
That man is Tommy Monaghan, who is busy, first attending old Flame Teagle's father's funeral before stopping back off at Noonan's grave. Sister Concepta is there, and she gives Tommy a lecture on life. At Noonan's bar, Maggie finally arrives and tells Tommy why the Tommy Lee Jones fan club are pursuing her. Turns out she witnessed a bizarre monster tearing the throat out of Donegan at Donegan's bar. But when the Shades Brigade arrive and blast his head clean off, the figure that fell to the floor was a man. Maggie fled the suits in hot pursuit. They burst into Noonan saying they only want the girl without realising where they are or who they're talking to. Tommy picks up a ringing mobile phone off of a dead CIA agent. It's Agent Truman, with whom Tommy has a past. Tommy tells Truman to leave Maggie alone. Truman hangs up and looks through the Bloodlines file. It's time to bring an end to Mr. Monaghan. Quite a low-key beginning, in many ways. Uh, my only problem with this, I really do wish I'd read the 52 issues that led up to this. Same. Because there is an awful lot of... There's a melancholy hanging over this entire story, because a lot of people have just died, haven't they? Yeah. If Sean Noonan's just died... Did he not die at the beginning? No, Sean, Sean went through a lot of the series. Right, was it Pat then? Pat died right, early yeah. on, yeah. And Ringo Chen has just died... Yeah. Not too long ago. So Tommy and Co are starting to feel the weight of the job that they've, they've chosen. I didn't, uh, this is very definitely a culmination of the entire series. Yeah. But I, I, don't, I only read it once, whereas Preacher, I can tell you everything that happened, I've read it a few times. I've read Hitman a couple of times, just because it's great. <clears throat> but yeah, it's been a while since I sat and read the whole thing. Yeah. So... I remembered it, but it's that vague recollection of something that I read 15 years yeah. ago, 10 years ago. I'm going to dig all these out and read them again. You know now I'll have all this time yeah. to read stuff for fun and not have to do show notes. I just never, I always thought it was under Preacher's shadow, so I always gave Preacher more attention. Well, reading. it was. Garth Ennis actually says that. There's a text piece in the last issue right. where he says people come up to say, love Preacher, love this, love that, and he's, yeah, thanks very much. But when they said, but I like Hitman best of all. Yeah. He always got that kind of, you know, secret handshake thing. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting as well, there are two comic series your mum's read all the way through, Preacher and Hitman. Yeah. And your mum preferred Hitman. Right, okay. She liked Preacher. Yeah. She preferred Hitman. Right. So there, there is something about Hitman that just spoke to... The people that loved it, loved it. Yeah. And we loved it. Unfortunately, there weren't enough of them to keep publication because he has said he wouldn't have ended it with issue 60 mm. he had other stories he wanted to do up to issue 100 right. but the axe fell and uh, it fell at roughly the same time as um, as Preacher as well didn't it yeah both of them died at roughly the same time didn't they so um, as we go through the comic for the, the usual little bits of notes that we do um, Nat seems to drive a 1970s Chevy Chevelle right that seems to be what that is which makes sense yeah. What a cool dude like Nat would drive, <laughs> isn't it? If you're going to drive a Chevy, drive a Chevelle. Mm-hmm. Drive a 1970 Chevelle's SS. That's what I'd have. Okay. Given the choice. You know, money were no object. Of course. Although I don't know how Nat can afford one. Maybe he stole it. Maybe he stole Off it. the yeah. guy he killed. Yeah. <laughs> killed a guy, killed a guy. It knows a guy that killed a guy. Yeah. So I just took his car. Um, what is really good about this first issue, and it doesn't just set up the ending... He tells you what the end is going to be. Page whatever this is, there's no page numbers. Page five or six or whatever. This is how it's going to end. The dreamy as. Yeah. Yeah, it signposts 
exactly. It does, and it's that's not a signpost. No, it, that's the end. No, it's it, well, that's well, yeah, because he he tells his dream at the end as well. Yeah, so they, he tells you exactly how the series is going to end. Yeah, and it's you go all the way through it, kind of hoping that's not how it's going to play out. I mean, you start off uh, uh, the end story arc with him having a dream about meeting all of his dead friends. Mm. You kind of know how it's going to end. Yeah, well, it was kind of... You always knew how Hitman was going to end, because there, the, there was an issue, I think I'll let us know later on, where we, we've seen a flash forward. We've seen the future of Gotham. Right. And the only ones alive were Beato and um, Hacken. Right, okay. Everyone else was dead. Right. So we knew this wasn't ending happily. Right. But the fact that he actually gives you the ending there... Yeah. Is quite remarkable, and he gets away with it as well. Hmm? It, it completely gets away with it. Uh, there's a wonderfully funny line about Nat's ass. Um, well, I knew it was a dream because your ass actually fit through the door. Yeah. Nat's weight was a constant source of Tommy taking the piss out of him, wasn't it? Yep. All the way through the series. It was great, though. Mm. It was, was funny. Um, the newspaper headline, Sink It All Into Pork Bellies, is that a Trading Places reference? I don't know. Still, for my money, the only really genuinely funny Eddie Murphy film. Okay. Because yeah. it is great. I made you watch it one Christmas. You did? Beta's got an ashtray in his head. Beta has an ashtray. I am Beta! He's like Groot, isn't he? Yeah. Only louder. And that's all that he says, yeah. Okay. Um... Blackly comic line from from Tommy about needing to attend a funeral so I don't get out of practice because mm. he goes to a lot of funerals. Um, that's pretty much it for for the issue. There's an interesting scene in the middle of it. Tommy visits Noonan's grave. This was the best bit in the book yeah. in terms of uh, characterization, and he sees Sister Conceptor laying some flowers. Noonan owned the Gotham Bar. For those that have never read Hitman that Tommy and the lads hang out in. What's great about this scene is any skewering Tommy's man's gotta do what a man's gotta do machismo. Uh, the series has never strayed away from the violent life that Tommy leads, but through our movies and our pulp stories, we always get that idea that, you know, a man that has to step up and be counted yeah, when the time comes, and that's definitely <clears throat> something that Ennis has told in all of his. Stories. Yeah, that's pretty much a common thread. Yeah, in all of his storylines, isn't it? Tommy says he sorted out the men that killed Noonan the only way I know how, and then Conceptor quietly but very forcefully because mm. she's a Catholic nun. You don't mess with Catholic nuns. Yeah, quietly and forcefully cuts him off at the knees, just pointing out all those children that were in that church when you killed all those men. They grew up thinking, that's how you solve our problems. Mm. You shoot somebody, they shoot somebody, and nothing gets solved. And it's a really great, quiet little moment where you just get a panel where Tommy just reflects on what she's just said. Yeah, well, it's the reality of 50 issues of shooting everyone. Yeah. The, you know, ultimately, you've not solved anything. Mm-hmm. And it's good, it's great, that. It was a really nice little and piece of... It's another one of those things where that kind of does. Yeah kind of signpost the end of it. Yes. Yeah, it does sometimes. So this entire first issue of the arc signposts the end of it. Yeah. Very well done, though. Mm. It is really intelligently done. Um, Tommy tries to talk about what a great man Noonan was as well, and Concept is just having none of that. She has a brilliant speech. Really, really well-written speech. Um, and Ennis is really good at this kind of thing. 
we cheered when Tommy took bloody vengeance on Noonan's killers because that's what he wanted us yeah. to feel. We liked Sean Noonan because he was a, a regular character in the book. But here he gets us, and by extension Tommy, to actually question what he did mm. and if it's made a damn bit of difference, which is what sets any apart as a writer. He was never preachy, mm. despite writing a book called Preacher. Yeah. But he was careful of great self-analysis. Yeah, it never reads as though it's your reading him. It's mm. always your reading the characters. Yeah, even though he essentially just replays the same thematic elements over yeah. and over again. I mean, uh, Hellblazer, Hitman, and Preacher are all the same story. Yeah, pretty much. And even War Stories has elements of yeah. that as well. Um, not so much the boys, but maybe we didn't like the boys as much. The boys was out on the edge. So maybe that's why we didn't like it. Yeah. Because it wasn't. It was a little bit. I mean, there was still the whole thing. With Butcher and Simon Pegg. Yeah. Huey. But that was slightly different, wasn't it? Because we knew Butcher was playing him. Yeah. So that, that was a different thing entirely. Uh, I love, as well, you may have noticed in the synopsis, lovely lovely listener, if you pay attention to the synopsis, uh, that I completely skipped over what happened to the FBI who burst into the church. That's because we don't see it in the comic. Mm. We just say, boy, have you walked into the wrong bar? And then we turn the page and they're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's, it's brilliant, because it's like we don't need to see another action scene of Tommy and Nat blowing the crap out of people. Hmm. We've seen it, we're gonna see it. Yeah. We don't need to see it here. So it was brilliant, absolutely hysterical. And he does that well as well, doesn't he? The humour, the black humour, and, the, yeah. and the, the tragedy and the drama, which he, he blends together magnificently well. Um, closing time part one probably makes no sense whatsoever to people not familiar with the series, but screw it. Hitman was never a massive hit, oddly, but it never tanked. So you can understand Ennis wanting to take the series out on a high. There is, as we pointed out, a feeling of great melancholy hanging over this issue. And I suspect even if the reader didn't know that this was the end, my friend, the general feel of the story would clue us in, even if we didn't know from issue 50. Yeah, there you go. I must have researched it. Tommy and co. aren't making it out of this alive. Well, it's called closing time yeah there is that as well and it's about a pub yeah so this this episode's called closing time right. uh, a couple of adverts in this green lantern circle of fire which I presume Sean has covered on just one of the guys you can buy your own bottle city of candor that'd be cool if the actual model itself wasn't a bit naff is it it's, well it's all grey it's $175 and limited to 1,800 pieces how did, you, how did they decide how many to make why have they decided that 1,800 is a nice figure to make of that? Maybe they do maths with, well, this is how much it costs to make it, so this is how much we need to sell to make profit. So if we only make this many, and we sell this many, we'll make this much money. Yeah. But if we do more than that, we won't. Yeah. And also there is that whole, if it's limited, people may buy it who wouldn't normally. That is true. Right. Okay, fair enough. Um, Superman Arkham. There's a big advert for that. There's some great covers, aren't there? Hmm. Oh, that's actually on a hex. <laughs> yeah, that's quite cool, isn't it? On the playing card, so that's quite good. Because it's the 90s, there's some good adverts here. Brian Bolland's Wonder Woman gets a statue. The Legend of Hawkman by Ben Rabb and Michael Lark. That looks quite interesting, although Sean doesn't speak highly of Ben Rabb and the Green Lantern. Loads of action figures of the Flash, which I'm surprised they've not brought back yeah. with the TV show, especially seeing as the TV show's going to have Jesse Quick next year. Alright. And uh, Superman Last Son of Earth by Steve Gerber and Doug Wheatley. Oh, Steve Gerber. That's quite interesting, isn't it? And Star Wars. Star Wars was popular. In, yeah, in the those Lego sets were pretty cool. You had some of them, didn't you? Back when Lego were trying to be grown up by doing big 
mechanical sets. And now they do big Death Stars and cost 250 quid. Have you seen the Millennium Falcon? How much is that? I don't know. Isn't that horrendously expensive? Yeah. You like the first chapter of Closing Time? Yeah. Or he's talking about it in chapters, going to be a bit of a pain fight. Probably. Nothing happens. I think a lot happens. It's See, that kicks off the story. More, more happens later on. Like, the amount of happening increases <laughs> as the issues go along. There's a lot of time before you get to the closing. Yeah. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Because it's, it pays off, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah but yeah. in those first few issues, not much happens. No, he's going for the slow burn initially. Yeah. And then there's the bit in the middle that I was it's really like... slowing burn. Yeah, what the hell's happening here? Why are we having two flashback issues? Hmm. But we'll get to that in a minute. Issue four, 54's cover has a strange skinny man with a gun in hand and a blindfold over his eyes. It's not Stick from Daredevil. Flanked by Tommy and Dana Scully from the X-Files. Yeah. Who's decided to make an appearance. Catherine McAllister shows up at noon and she and Tommy have a past. McAllister used to be one of Truman's people, but she found herself on the outs. Trying to find out what he was up to, she learned about Maggie and Bloodlines. She tells Tommy and Cole that Truman will kill Maggie, who, as far as McAllister is concerned, is an innocent to protect his dirty little secrets. Which are? Well, for starters, Truman is trying to reopen the Bloodlines files, and Tommy knows what trouble that is. Truman is trying to bring superhumans under his control, an enticing prospect to many in Washington. And as such, he's pretty bulletproof, even though his operation is off book. With the Bloodlines virus, which could wipe out mankind and the abilities to control the superpowered population, Truman would be unstoppable. Elsewhere, Truman watches a man hit a target every single time with a blindfold on. Monaghan's days are numbered. Tommy and McAllister taking some food to a less than luxurious eatery, and Tommy shows McAllister what he has on Truman that has prevented him from going after Tommy, a file in which Truman associates with many known killers and even talks about killing Superman. They are interrupted by Greedo, who approaches Tommy in the bar. Tommy shoots first. He gives Truman a ring, but Truman didn't expect Greedo to succeed. He was merely a delivery boy. You should have watched England. Good da da Tommy and McAllister drop by an old safe house of Tommy's and watch the video sent by Truman. Tommy witnesses the man from earlier shooting up a range and Tommy recognises him as Johnny Navarro's son, now out for vengeance on the man who killed his father. See the scene with Conceptor earlier on? Guess who that is? Suddenly the tape starts burning and explodes, but Tommy and McAllister only surviving thanks to McAllister's training. Out on the balcony, surrounded by flames and having barely escaped with their lives, Tommy and McAllister decide to get to know each other a little better. Boom, chicka, wah, wah. A good intro to uh, Agent McAllister. Uh, Gillian Anderson was everywhere in the 90s, achieving superstardom thanks to her role as Dana Scully on the X-Files. Her issue of FHM commanded 60 quid on eBay in the late 90s. Yeah, that that was hot stuff. That spank mag of Gillian Anderson. <laughs> so, I bet you can get it for 10p, you know. Uh, McAllister's clearly based on Scully. Yeah. Totally. Does, does, you know, red hair, pantsuit, facial structure. Uh, it's obviously not photo reference, though, mm. which is to McCrea's credit. And he, go- he does do a good job of making her fit right in. So it's not one of them, like, when... Um, what's his first, does it? What's his name? Am I thinking of Greg Land or... Oh, yeah. Deodato, when they do photo reference and suddenly you're like, what the hell's Jason Priestley doing in my comic? <laughs> so this, that quite worked. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, Gillian Anderson could be in a Hitman movie. Okay. It, it would it would work if she wanted to. Uh, the intro to Mark Navarone. 
the guns of Navarone, get it? Yeah. It's clever, that. Uh, makes him out to be pretty cool. Uh, he, he's the super cop from all those Asian chops, hockey flicks, isn't he? Okay. Yeah. That's what he, they're building him up to be. Yeah. Bit of a damn squib when you get to the end. A little bit. A little bit. He but, doesn't, like, yeah. shoot the target every time, though. He does a perfect square out of his bullet holes. Yes, he does. He is. He's pretty good at that. It does kind of lead the ending to be a bit silly, though. He builds him up to this, be you, this, be this huge badass. It's funny, but not satisfying. Yeah, there are, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, uh, Truman's waistcoat in this is storm clouds. Yeah, and as you go through, McCrea, he has smiley faces. He has smiley faces. Yeah. McCrea adds these great little touches into into the art and stuff like that. Which his waistcoats are always. McCrea does. There, you know, if you look in it, there's some stuff in there that only a sick bastard would draw. <laughs> yeah. John McCrea, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm sure he's not really sick. when I met him, and he's a lovely bloke with a wife and kids. Yeah, and yeah he had very little babies with him, didn't he? And you? then I, I read that one story arc of, of the boys where it's the superhero orgy person. Oh, yeah. Uh, what was that called? Super superhero or something? Super, yeah, Supergasm. Right, yeah. It was the convention for superheroes every year, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was hard work, wasn't it? <laughs> Um, Garth Ennis works with an established continuity. Right, okay. He's made reference to No Man's Land. He ties Truman's action into No Man's Land, so he's moving resources where No right, Man's okay. Land was happening. And the resurgence of bloodlines. Right. Garth yeah. can work in continuity. Continuity can work. Who knew? To your favour. Yeah, and history as well. Yeah. So, you know, just chucking it all out, it's just laser. Yeah. Whereas Garth Ennis actually makes it work. Yeah. And it's, it's even more unusual in that it's Garth Ennis who makes it work. Who just spent a crossover issue ignoring the crossover yeah and, and his, his intro to the Punisher I thought you were an angel now didn't work yeah there you go gone <laughs> got rid of all of that get rid of that four issue miniseries Tommy has absolutely no reason to trust McAllister but he does anyway we all know where this is going right mm. uh, Tommy's approached in a CD buy with a man with a gun Tommy tells the guy, tell Jabber, even I get boarded sometimes. Yeah. Which was very, very funny, especially when the guy goes, what? And then he shoots him. And I like the, he says to the guy, who of course is called Mel, because right. it's Mel's diner, yeah. sorry about the mess, yeah, I know. <laughs> funny. 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 And I ain't got time to clean it up on a house. So none of these people have any objections to Tommy just killing people. It's, isn't it the seediest side of Gotham, though? Yeah, even Batman doesn't go here, does he? No. Well, he did once. <laughs> he did once, he never came back. And then he showed up just to be have the piss taken out of him. Yeah, but it's Garth Ennis comic. It is. No, you know when he was sick all over Green Lantern? That should have been Batman. Right, okay. And DC editorial said, not a chance. Right. But they'll let him be sick all over Kyle Rayner. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he gives a toss about Kyle, it's, it's, DC editorial. It's his initiation. <laughs> Yeah, alright, fair enough. Um, nice headline on the paper, Baldy Award Fever. Right. Which is obviously a reference to the Superman books when they used to give out Baldy Awards. Okay. Mike Bailey and uh, Jeff Taylor got a Baldy Award. Alright. From Mike Carlin. Yeah. For uh, doing the Superman podcast from Crisis to Crisis. That's cool. That was really cool. Yeah. I really did like that. I thought that was brilliant. Uh, and if you answered yes to my earlier question about you know where this is going, uh, the last page will be no surprise to you. Mm. Copious amounts of clothes being ripped off. They did the deed. Yeah, it's, it doesn't look like the safest fire escape in the world to be doing it on. No, it doesn't. Does it? It looks like it's going to collapse at any maybe, minute. Maybe that's where the thrill of it Maybe, maybe it is, yeah. Maybe maybe that's uh, the thrill of the hunt. 
or something uh, part two <laughs> is all about bringing back some old adversaries setting up the plot to be honest there's a lot of exposition in this one yeah but it's handled well the most interesting thing was the thematic continuation of the idea that answering problems with violence only begets more violence as Tommy is now being approached by the son of the man he killed which is the situation that Conceptor described in part one yep it's clever that mm-hmm. well done it's a good one you don't have anything individual issue wise do you uh, no no uh, Supernova is a film starring James Spader and Angela Bassett that I've never seen. That gets an advert. Finger Eleven. But they're a band. I am aware that they're a band. Are they any good? I quite like some of the stuff they did. Do you? Yeah. Uh, are they still around? Heaven's Ladder, uh, the oversized graphic novel by which they mean like Treasury Edition by Brian Hitch and Matt Wade. We've got that. It's good. It is, yeah. Well, it's Matt Wade. You know, it's always guaranteed a good oh, yeah, thing. I, I like the alien from Bloodlines showing back up in a flashback. Yeah, well he shows back up later as well, doesn't he? Does it? Yeah, well one of the people morphs into a version of oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. Doesn't actually become it. Secret Society of Superheroes book one by Howard Chaikin and Jim Permiardi. Hey, we squeezed the Permiardi reference in just before we finished. We did. That's brilliant. That. Batman Ego by Darwin Cook. Wow, there's some really good stuff in here. Mm. You said the 90s were crap. You did, Andrew, at the beginning of the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> JLA Happily Ever, Never After, sorry, by Mark Wade and Brian Hitch, the Queen of Fables. They took over after Grant Morrison, didn't they? Yeah. Mark Wade has called it well one Well, after of, Matt Miller. Hasn't he called it one of the most unsatisfying experiences of his writing career? Okay. I don't know why. Batman the Doom that came to Gotham by Mike Mignola. That looks quite good as well. Mm. There's some really good stuff here that we've never read. Should go back to the 90s. Yeah. Get a time in the 90s. Yeah, that one. Uh, the 200th Batman edition action figure is Batman Beyond. That is cool. It is. Batman Beyond is cool. Batman Beyond is very cool. Or Batman of the Future. Yeah. As it was called over here, because obviously we were too stupid yeah, yeah. to figure that out. The Americans got the revenge for King, <laughs> King Henry. <laughs> Henry V. Henry, yeah, yeah. Issue 55's cover has Tommy yelling at Teagle. It's alright, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we got that back in as well. Yeah. Let's bring them all out for old home week. There's there's a lot of <laughs> spit. Spit. Yeah. I wonder what they're shouting. Swear to me! <laughs> Crowbar! <laughs> You're know, throwing everything yeah, in here. We're bringing everything back. <laughs> that's just what you've come to expect from this show. Yeah. Isn't it, really? Yeah, that's the, it's the yelling each other. That's the cover. Tommy fights off Stevie, an old school friend who's more interested in killing Tommy for the two mil bounty on his head rather than catching up on old times. Still, Tommy blows him away with little remorse. Elsewhere, Truman learns that the Bloodlines virus is not working on any of his test subjects. Undeterred, he tells the doctor in charge to carry on regardless. Tommy heads over to Teagle to give her some money and get the hell out of Dodge. She says she won't take Tommy's blood money. Tommy says it's all blood money. She was about to turn him in, but with Tommy being decent for once, she takes his money. Tommy returns to McAllister, and they realise neither deserve a decent person. They spend the afternoon killing time, if you know what I mean. Later at Noonan's, Nat still isn't convinced by McAllister, and admonishes Tommy for falling for her. This argument saves their lives as Nat's car explodes. Stevie's brother arrives for the two mil, but his head is blown clean off by an elderly man who says, Sean Noonan sent him. Picking up a bit. Mm. Action wise. Uh, I do love the opening to this issue. Tommy's monologue is explaining who he was at school with 
and he does that John Woo gun battle thing yeah. where they've got a gun in each hand and they dive backwards <laughs> over bars and slow things. motion yeah I'm expecting some doves <laughs> to, uh, to show up at any moment it's really cool but there is a real sadness to it as well like Tommy realising that he's never really amounted to much mm. in the grand scheme of things and the fact that his would-be killer is a former classmate just adds to his feeling of melancholy that this is his life yeah and he needs to do something about it, which is probably why the decision he makes later on to just leave wasn't that difficult. Yeah. He's just going to get hunted, or this is how he's going to die if he doesn't do something about it. But it's exceptionally funny as well, mm. isn't it? Ennis can combine action and violence with a man pondering his life and his existentialist crisis. Yeah. And he does it with one-liners, which shows how brilliant of a writer he is. I love this bit at the end. You always were a comedian, Tommy. I'm going to miss you. I know you are, Stevie. And just throws a grenade at him. Yeah. That was funny. I like that. And Stevie looks just like the bad guy from Magnum Force. I was going to say, is there a reason why there's a lot more detail in his face than anyone else? I do wonder if that was deliberate. I mean, it. Mm, I don't know. He does look like the bad guy from Magnum Force, whose name was something ridiculous like Derwent Buckwalter. That right. was his real name. <laughs> right. No, not the character's name. But you're right... I wonder is he supposed to be is he supposed to be somebody I don't know because he's almost Neil Gaiman-esque but he's not wearing sunglasses yeah so although Neil Gaiman doesn't wear sunglasses all the time Mm. anymore and he's blonde Neil Gaiman's not blonde true so I don't know you're right he does he does have a look to him like he should be somebody like we should recognise him I mean, I think he's the spitting image of the bad guy from Magnum Force, like I said. That's so he could just be that, then. He could just be that. Because, in addition to that, uh, uh, McCrea uses actor Jeffrey Palmer for the doctor who's running the Bloodlines project. Right, okay. So, Jeffrey Palmer always has that hangdog expression. Right. You probably don't know him. He's in loads of British sitcoms. He's okay. in one with, um, Dame, what's her face? M, from the James Bond movies. Okay. Whose name temporarily escapes me. Judy Dench. Yeah, yes. Judy Dench. That's who he is. Uh, he's also excels, does Mr. Ennis, at creating utter scumbags as villains. Because mm. that's how these stories have to work. Yeah. So Tommy's adversaries have to be the scum of the earth. They have to be worse than him. Yeah, to, to explain why we are rooting for a guy who is essentially a contract killer. Yeah. So that's what he does. And Truman is a scumbag. Uh, would he really kill 10,000 people on the off chance one of them managed to trigger the bloodlines virus? Yes. And he doesn't answer that question, does he? No. But we know that he would. Well, we see it, yeah. Yeah, and what we find out here is every single one of them knows what's happening to them, which plays in, again, later, Nat looks at them and goes, they know what's going on. Mm. He recognises it in their face, doesn't he? It's really good. It's an, again, there's a lot of exposition in the middle between the Doctor and, and Truman. Yeah. But, uh, again, it doesn't really feel like pages and pages of exposition. It's handled quite well. Hmm. It's not like, let's stop the story and tell you the plot. No, the exposition is the story. Yeah, pretty much. You've got to explain the Bloodline stuff. Because the Bloodline stuff hasn't had any burn on this series since issue one, has it? It's not, no. Tommy was created in Bloodlines and then Ez just proceeded to completely ignore Bloodlines. Yeah. And did nothing with it. But I, I only read the Bloodlines one after the series. I didn't know it was a spin-off of everything. What Bloodlines were? The Etrigan. 
I've never read the demon stuff. Have you not? Nope. Scott, let me borrow it. Yeah, Scott, I've, Scott it, him, yeah. I've never, I've never read them. Right. Okay. I started with Hitman One, and that's it. Yeah. Never read Bloodlines, and I never read the the demon stuff. That uh, did John McCrea draw that as well? Yeah. All right, so it really is a precursor to this. Mm. Uh, I wonder, is it in volume one of the new trade paperbacks then? Oh, they're trading this. All of it's out in trade now. Right, It okay. didn't used to be. They stopped at volume four. Yeah. And then they went back and republished them all. Right. And I think they did a new number one with all the demon stuff in. Right, okay. So it may be worth picking that up just for the demon stuff. Yeah. Because I bet the issues are expensive. There's only, he's only in the one annual. Is he? I, think I thought he, he did a couple of issues of the demon that he was in. I'd have to look that up. I thought he did a couple of issues of the demon as well as the initial Bloodlines annual. Right. Before he span off and got his own comic. Oh, okay. I only thought he was in the one annual. Oh, all right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Teagle is one of Tommy's ex-girlfriends who lost her job, probably because of Tommy. She was a cop. It's been pointed out so that if she turned Tommy in, she'd get her job back. And she's considered it, isn't she? Mm. She's got a gun when he comes and visits her and she's, she's going to do it. And then he goes and does the decent thing. <laughs> what <Yeah>. a bastard. <laughs> Finally, at the last hurdle, he does the decent thing. Uh, so, of course, he goes and shags McAllister, who's a proper manic little pixie girl, isn't she? Mm. She is so the perfect woman in Garth Ennis's eyes. Yeah. Do you not think? I wonder a, if his girlfriend's like that. A DC-friendly tulip. Pretty much. But there's also that thing, she's almost too perfect for Tommy. Yeah. You know, it's one of them... She's what every male writer fantasises his woman will be alike. She smokes, drinks, swears, and is quite happy to have sex with no strings whatsoever. <laughs> There's never any of that what's-it-mushy stuff. Okay. Or any of that uh, afterwards, like Paradise by the Dashboard, like, that doesn't happen. Will you stay with me forever? No! What is met? So none of that goes on. So that is Manic Pixie Girl. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Something like that, anyway. Uh, the end of the issue... They get very, very lucky with Nat's character blood and them not dying, don't they? Um, the, the, the key's in the door, yeah. Yeah, so they get quite lucky on that. And, uh, <laughs> I do like that Stevie's brother shows up with a bazooka, and I guess this is for Stevie, and he's like, oh, I was thinking it was more for the two million, but if it makes you feel any better, it's for my brother. Yeah. He don't give a toss about his brother, does he? And then Clint Eastwood shows up. The Saint to Kill us. The Saint to Kill us shows up, yeah. Are you trying to say this is pretty similar to Preacher? He's got a he's got a forty four magnum. <laughs> the most powerful handgun in the world. Yeah, it can blow your head clean off. He's he's a he's a maverick cop. Yep. Uh he's, he's He got... lives on the edge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, alright, okay, fair <laughs> enough. You're just gonna diss on it. Yeah, like that, yeah. Um, again, we're building up the action quite well on an individual issue by issue basis. We don't really have a lot to say about it, do we? No. Really, it's it's going to come when we get to the whole thing. There's an eBay advert in this comic. An official Warner Brothers auction on eBay. What was all that about? A pe- you own the piece of Batman history straight from the Warner Brothers vault. What, did they sell off the Batmobile? Uh, maybe it was something like the statue he uses to get into the back here. Oh, can I have that Shakespeare doll? <laughs> Bust. Sorry, not a doll, is it? This comic actually has adverts for books in the middle. Yeah. Which is nice. There's a couple of Star Trek novels and Michael Crichton's Timeline and R.S. Alvatore. I think David Weber, the Hon Harrington series, that gets uh, an advert. Um, they look like some, some porn, though. Obsidian Butterfly. Okay. That looks a bit... Uh, that a bit, dreams. That looks a bit porny, doesn't it? And Star Wars Rogue Planet, which I've never read. Oh, the novel for No Man's Land by Greg Rucker. 
And a couple of graphic novels as well. Transmet. Yeah, Sandman. Sandman, Astro City, Secret Wars, Infinity Gauntlet. Some of these things are not like the others. And mm. the fantasy art of various different artists. And Dune. Dune. House of Trades. The, the I've got though. Dune. You have. You never read it, have you? I have not. I have not. I can't get into it. It's a scary book, isn't it? I keep meaning to try and get into it, and I never have, because it is. You do think on the first bit, Dune would be something I'd love. Yeah. And yet I've never got into it. Advent for Dark Angel, mm. which is currently all over the sci-fi channel. Your mum will occasionally leave it on on the vague hope it's an episode with Jensen Ackles in it. Ah. <laughs> Explains a great many things. It, it does, it. yeah. You know. Jessica Alba was only 19 when she did that. Okay. And the thing goes in it for NCIS, Michael Weatherly. What's his name? Gibbs? No, Gibbs is Mark Harmon. Is he the guy with the glasses? Or? No, he's... He, <laughs> not that one. <laughs> that's not NCIS, is it? Isn't that... That's not Jag. It's all confusing. <laughs> NYPD Blue or Miami Vice, one of them. There's six of them, aren't there? Is NCIS the... NCIS is a spin-off of Jag. Right. So is that the... That's nothing to do with... Is that the daytime TV housewife one, or is that the retired uh, one? The daytime TV housewife yeah, one? Yeah, it's either NCIS or CIS. Yeah. One of them's CSI? For, yeah, CSI. <laughs> one of them's for retired people, like right. that Jag. <laughs> <laughs> I used to quite like Jag. <laughs> Go on. And, and the other one is, is for, for housewives who don't watch soaps. Right. Well, is that not without a trace? That that is true. Yeah. Because are they not all the same, really? <laughs> yeah. Are they not all interchangeable? Yeah. In the grand scheme of things. Uh, issue fifty-six has a close-up of Tommy's gurning face, cigarette poking out of his clenched teeth. You know what that reminds me of? Didn't DC do an entire month where all they did was covers that was yeah. people's faces? Well, I was going to ask, is that a part of that? No, because the Tommy Monaghan one was him with a pint. Right. Okay. So this isn't even part of that. So it's just... Because the, the angle he's got that cigarette, he's going to burn his eye out. He's got his sunglasses on. That's true. He's like Bono. Yeah. He never takes his sunglasses off. <laughs> he's not like Bono in that he's not a twat. <laughs> that is true. Do you think Bono never takes his sunglasses off because he's got his black x-ray eyes? Yes, Bono has eyes of the devil. Bono is a victim of bloodbath. But... <laughs> Many people wish that Bono was a victim of a bloodbath, but I'm not one of them, because I would not wish ill on another human being. Unless it's Bono. Oh, Pierce Morgan. Tommy wakes up in a basement where he learns that the curmudgeonly old dude is a cop named Connolly. He owes Sean a favour, and Sean called Connolly just before he died, calling in that marker. To Tommy's surprise, the favour was to keep Tommy safe. Tommy, tied to a chair, pleads with Connolly to let him go, as he is all that stands between Truman's men and Maggie. Connolly mentions that that's not his problem. He has a debt to pay, and pay it he shall. Cue flashback music. Tommy thinks about Sean and how he came to own Noonan's Bar. Sean worked as the barman at Skinner's Bar. Skinner was a mouldy old bugger, and young Tommy and Pat Noonan drove him round the bend with their Dennis the Menace-style antics. Sean would just smile and take Skinner's sour face and unpleasant demeanour. After all, Skinner had something that Sean wanted. Later that night at the weekly poker game, Skinner is losing to Sean. He wants to up the stakes and ask Skinner to play for the deed to the bar. Skinner does so, loses, and Sean wins what will become Noonan's. Time, as is its want, 
passes. Tommy and Pat are now teenagers buying Potter to deal with Bunko Finneran, a local nerder well. So Tommy brings a gun. Of course, Bunko turns out to be a psycho, wants an extra two grand for the dope and pulls a knife on Tommy. He brought a knife to a gunfight. Tommy blows his head clean off. Back at Noonan's, Sean patches up the wounds and tells Tommy and Pat he can probably smooth this over, as everyone knew what a twat Bunko was, but Sean feels it will be better if Tommy is scarce for a few years. Sean suggests the Marines. <laughs> uh, apparently Connolly was a cop in the cauldron who owes Noonan a favour for a reason that we won't find out until a later issue. Um, we may as well say it now. Spoilers. Um... Connolly interrupted um, robbery. a robbery, didn't he? So they and the, the robbers caught him but didn't have the nerve to kill him, so they hired, or they called Sean in, yeah. who was a contract killer, to kill him. And Sean's like, I'm not killing a cop because you two are dumbasses. Yeah. And he proceeds to let him go, and ever since then he says, right, you owe me one. Mm-hmm. And that was some considerable years ago, because yeah. Connolly's a, um, he's a in rookie. a uniform, isn't he? He's yeah. a rookie cop at that point, and now he's a hard bastard. Yes. So it was some time ago, so that's, that's fair enough. Uh, the favour that he calls in is to protect Tommy, and uh, Connolly's not bothered what the collateral damage is, and he doesn't even care if Nat's alive mm. after the explosion. Uh, we go into flashback mode. Uh, well, in the flashback, Tommy's wearing a Starsky and Hutch t-shirt. Okay. Which I said, did you not notice that? I didn't. Can't believe you did not notice that Tommy has a Starsky and Hutch t-shirt on. Oh, yeah. Got a Starsky. And uh, the, the 70s flashbacks are in black and white. With, with the exception of red for the sign above the bar and the sleazy um, bar, the sleazy bar, yeah. and the, um, the the playing cards that they play with, and then it goes into colour as we get into the eighties and stuff. Why are the seventies ones in black and white? Ah, goes sepia for the eighties ones, doesn't it? Yeah, but that's just because it's night time and it's dark. Uh, the time passes scene, though, as we move from the 70s into the 80s, is, is really very, very funny. The kids, Tommy and Pat, go from reading comics to teens reading porn. Yeah. Which is it's very funny. To trying to be all cool wearing leather jackets and slicking back the... It's hysterical that they're all trying to be really cool and they've all got acne. Yeah. Which was quite funny. And Tommy kills scumbag Bunko who, let's be honest, was going to make um, Patty's bitch. Yeah. He was a bit of a wrong one. Mm. But it, this is pretty much here where, where Tommy's set on his path, isn't it? Yeah. Because this ties into the whole thing that Sean's been telling him about, you always, you've always got your friends back. Which was a great scene. Yeah, it was, because Bunko was a scumbag. Yeah, but the bit where um, Pat's angry about it, but mm. he's very, you know, he can't be a hypocrite. It is, it is. It does solidify what Tommy's relationship with Sean was. He was like, does he eventually adopt him? Or does he just look after him even though he's in the orphanage? Yeah, the swearing here is precursor to All-Star Batman, isn't it? Yeah, what, in the end? with proper printing. When they go in the Marines. But I've seen Full Metal Jacket, and then it's a scene. And then it's it's our Leomi from Full Metal Jacket. A shot-for-shot remake of Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. He punches him, and he's on the floor. Yeah, and then the swearing is covered by black lines. Not even in a vertigo. (laughs) Like, yeah, and not even if this was vertigo, in terms of the swearing. So they're better at covering it up in this than they are in L-Star Batman. Because it's funny on purpose here, not funny on accident. Yeah, the the full jet metal jacket, bit cliched, 
Yeah, well, but, funny. Yeah, but it was very funny because it uh, felt like you know. Oh no, it's gonna it's it's Full Metal Jacket. It's gonna be cliched, and then it's a cliche. Yeah, and especially like, damn you, Sean. Yeah, that was quite funny. Um, but my main problem with this, on the one hand, it's a flashback issue. It gives more import to Sean, what he means to Tommy, and the influence he's had on his life, which is good. It's fine. It's backstory. It's interesting. But I've we knew what Sean meant to Tommy. So this kind of felt a little bit out of place, smack dab in the middle of the final story arc to the comic. I, don't, I, I think it's the perfect place for it. Do you? In this, we have Tommy is solidified as a man who never turns back on his friends. Mm-hmm. That's important for the last issue. In the next issue... But we already know that. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of those things were... He's solidifying it in this final arc for people who've only ever read th- this final arc. You throw in all the happy moments to make the ultimate sad moment sadder. Yeah. So, and for him to, like, be reminded as to why he never turns back on his friends, and then the next issue, it's We that get that reinforced. He never turns his back on Nat. That's... Which leads to the ending yeah. of Tommy saying to Nat, look, why did you never leave? This isn't your fight. It leads to... Well, and Nat saying, well, you wouldn't have left me, would you? Well, I'm the last scene. Yeah. Where he turns around and goes, all right, fair enough. Originally, I questioned its placing. Yeah. Or you've managed to convince me that, you know... I'm, right, I'm just kind of biased, because these two are my favourite issues are of they? the story. Yeah. Because issue 57... The two Nam issues of Preacher as well are my favourites. Are they? Yeah. Oh, maybe it's just you and Nam. <laughs> um, any good adverts in there? Or you can buy a bat signal. Maybe that's... Apparently, the... this is a limited edition as well, but it doesn't tell you how many limited... Out what it's limited to. God, that's how they get you. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's limited, but there's infinite supply. This is only $150, right, whereas okay. the Bottle City of Candor is $175. But how do you put a price on a people? <laughs> on a people. On a people. <laughs> uh, Harley Quinn issue one, apparently that's worth a shed ton of money now. Is it? Uh, yeah, because Harley's very popular at the minute. We are, you know, at least we are used to Yeah, it. yeah, we've still got that. I'm going to plug it on eBay because okay. I don't give a toss about it. Uh, the first issue of Batman Adventures that she's in is like $300. Yeah. Apparently it's her first appearance in a comic. Give it a couple of years. Yeah, it'll come back <laughs> down again. That's why you sell it now. Yeah. <laughs> Before Margot Robbie comes on as uh, as um, Harley Quinn. That's pretty much the only interesting advert in issue 56, isn't it? Hmm? Issue 57 has a cover in which Tommy and Nat in military uniforms peeling spuds and reading Sergeant Rock comics. Ali Ermi's behind them, frothing at the mouth. <laughs> it's alright, isn't it? It's the most interesting cover of the lot of all eight issues, because yeah. at least it's something different. Is Nat eating those spuds raw? Looks like, yeah. Because he's quite a thin when he's in the army, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's quite a Russian nice. breakfast yeah. raw potato. A South Park advert. <laughs> Back at Noonan's, Nat is awoken from a pleasant dream by a bucket of water. McAllister informs Nat that Tommy has been kidnapped and it's up to them to rescue him. Ain't that the story of a mother-loving life, says Nat. Cue flashback music. 1990, basic training. Turns out Nat isn't too good with a gun and Tommy helps him out. Nat returns the favour later when two marines are trying to extort Tommy. From these unlikely beginnings, a friendship forms. As they smoke later, Tommy tells Nat he ain't in this for the long haul. See, Tommy has been learning to be a sniper, and he figures when his tour is up, that kind of knowledge will prove useful on the outside. Nat wants in. He should look him up later. 
Later that night, Nat gets hit up in the shower by the two who were roused about Tommy earlier. They didn't take too kindly to what Nat did, and to reduce the opportunity of it happening again, they plan on removing little Nat to prevent Nat's ears from being all uppity. With the knife at Nat's crown jewels, both men's heads explode and they fall to the floor. Turns out Tommy was returning from nighttime trials, spotted what was happening through the scope, and put two in their heads. Tommy tells Nat, you look after your friends. Nat works with Tommy to dispose of the bodies. The next day, Nat reverses the tank out for an engine test when, wouldn't you know it, the two ex-daughters must have passed out drunk and oblivious Nat killed them. Tommy's smart mouth gets them duty cleaning the tank with a toothbrush, but both Nat and Tommy are in the clear. Until word comes down that Saddam Hussein has just invaded Kuwait. Back in the now, Nat, McAllister and Hacken piece together who took Tommy, but it's Beethoven who comes through with the address book. Nat and McAllister head for the address, but Nat, still not willing to play ball with McAllister, steps on a mine. Oops. Oops, I hit to put my foot upon a mine. <laughs> Gosh, how daft of me. I assume Nat uh, uh, should be sang to the theme from Flash Gordon. This, that, yeah. Nat! No, Mr. President, Bruce Willis is an actor. <laughs> we need somebody to save us from the giant hamburger that's burring down upon us. <laughs> Nat, we love you, but we only have 23 hours and 17 minutes to eat that burger. I do like that they come from the United States of foie. <laughs> that's like, this comic has just turned into a sun, the newspaper, the sun. Yeah. And that's a Rupert Murdoch rag. <laughs> so we don't want none of that filth, do we? Um, Tommy and Nat's friendship began rather unconventionally and rather sweetly. Ennis books the cliche by having Tommy, the white guy, Mm. teach Nat how to fire a gun. I liked that. I thought that was really quite good. Nat repays Tommy by helping him out when two Marines try to run a protection racket on him. I do like Nat even wears his hat when he's a kid. Mm. How's it it fitting him that long? He's grown into it. Yeah, as it was it too big for him when he was younger? All right, uh, fair enough. That's okay. Uh, Nat says Gotham is worse than Detroit. Mm. I wonder what Patrick Kakura thinks of that line. <laughs> tell us, tell us if that's true, Patrick. Tell us if uh, Detroit really is uh, worse than Gotham. Uh, the scenes with Guthrie and Fisher, the two ex-daughters, start off blackly funny, and in a heartbeat, showing Ennis's deft hand at writing comedy, turn quite serious. Yeah. When they're pinning Nat down and they pull his towel off in the shower and they're putting his knife to, to little Nat. Well, it's, it's, Always makes you squirm a bit. A bit, yeah. yeah. We've, we've seen this before. I mean, we've never seen it as DC-friendly as this, even if it does kind of push that boundary a bit. Yeah, it pushes but it quite far. military training, racism, friendship, all Ennis motifs. Yeah. But it's... You know, like I said about Hellblazer, he has that person thing it's it's not an Ennis motif it's the character mm. and their beliefs yeah and I do love Tommy just wandering in casually what, what, they were gonna they were gonna you know they were gonna Nat and Tommy's like yeah I figured they were up to no good so I shot him yeah well they had to otherwise the outcome would have been worse <clears throat> yes it, it wouldn't have been uh, it wouldn't have been good for Nat's little Nat it would not be uh, no so um, that wouldn't have worked out very well for him uh, neither Tommy nor Nat have a clue who Saddam Hussein is. Oh, well, Q8 oh where the hell Q8 is, which is funny. I do, I really, really did laugh at the solution for getting rid of the bodies. Yeah. Dig the bullets out 
And yeah. then he, he says to Tommy, did you pick up the shells? And Tommy says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want anyone knowing I'd fired the gun, you know, after I shouldn't have fired the gun. And then what they do is he puts them behind the tanks and then reverses over them so you can't tell that they were ever shot. Yeah. So the one that he shot in the head, he reverses over his head. And he, I do love that Nat's really hamming up the... Yeah. ...stuff. But then um, it's brilliantly funny when Nat says, Gun it, how, how can I ever forgive myself? And Ali Ermi says, It's never easy seeing Marines die. And Tommy says, I guess it helps if it's a couple of useless turds like those two. <laughs> and Nat's like trying not to laugh. <laughs> they end up cleaning the tank with a toothbrush. <laughs> oh, Tommy. He can't keep his mouth shut, can he? This was really funny. I didn't mind this flashback. Yeah. Because like you say, it pays into the ending. It explains why Nat and Tommy are as close as they are. It explains why Nat sticks with him. Mm. In many ways. Even though they've had their arguments and the fat... The, the, the fights. Nat was one of this series' most valuable players, wasn't he? Yeah. Always the butt of Tommy's fat jokes. Yeah. But steadfastly loyal... Right to the end. He doesn't trust McAllister because she doesn't think she's any good for Tommy. Mm. Which is a lovely little character bit. Yeah. I don't think you're good for my friend. Oh, that was great. Nat's hat's in better days. Yeah. Although he has just been blown up. So, you know. And then the ending. Oh, I think I just stood on a mine. Mm. Oops. As I, as I pointed out. Uh, it's a bit protective, that cop is. Yeah, yeah, he's mined the apartments next to him. And and rigged the windows. Does that mean he owns the apartments next to him? Yeah, because what, what if it damaged it? Yeah, because I was just going to say, what if somebody comes up with an estate agent to look round the room? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a lovely room, you've got a lovely view of the cauldron. Oh, what have I just stood? Boom! <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Nobody probably noticed in this neighbourhood. Probably not. Would they? So, so then he just mines the place again. Uh, Justin Whalen was in Dungeons and Dragons the movie. He was, of course, Jimmy Olsen in Lewis and Clark. Dungeons and Dragons had a movie. Dungeons and Dragons had a movie. There's the advert for it. Yeah, okay. Well, did you, did so did Combat Street Fighter, so we'll give anything a movie. That's, that's true. Marlon Wayans was in it. And who else is Bruce Payne and Jeremy Irons Bruce Payne who was Bruce Payne was in he was a bad guy in something was it Passenger 57 I don't know with Wesley Snipes isn't Jeremy Irons the one who is all colouring yes he's now Alfred in the new Batman movie oh is he Batman v Superman he's Alfred oh okay that's made you excited to see it hasn't it oh definitely Jeremy Irons is in it (laughs) you know they should have cast Voldemort but he's, he's Alfred. He's M now, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. So he, he can't be. He can't be. Uh, he can't be both. True. Oh, they should have used Sean Sean Pertwee for both of them, for both Gotham and Batman v Superman. That would have been good. Uh, yeah. Having a crossover. Yeah, having a minor crossover. Um, you said that was your favourite issue. That why? Uh, I like Ennis's war stories, mm, and which and is I, what that is. And I like Ennis's war stories when it's a character of a series. Yeah, I'm not saying his war stories is bad, but he's... Because they're not. These preacher war stories is better, because we're following... 
Tommy's no Tommy's dad Jesse's dad the preacher characters and he's Hitman War stories is better because we're following that was funny yeah that was very very funny (laughs) oh dear me Uh, issue 58's cover has Tommy reflected in McAllister's knife think Incredible Hulk issue 340 if Wolverine was Gillian Anderson okay that that works doesn't it (laughs) yeah yeah so so there you go. As McAllister prepares to get Nat's foot off the mine, Truman orders the Bloodline's test subjects to be released from their bonds. Predictably, they tear each other to pieces. Truman orders a few of the cadavers to be sent to Mark Navarone for target practice. Not that he needs it, because tonight it's the guns of Navarone on the streets of Gotham against Tommy Monaghan. Wasn't that a plot in Hellblazer, like shooting cadavers? Probably. Yeah, I'm sure it was. As Nat sweats through his stylish and adorable hat, McAllister tells him she's doing this simply because she's had enough, and maybe, just maybe, she and Tommy can find a way out of this together. When she jokes about the mind-blowing Nat's manhood to smithereens, he knows she and Tommy deserve each other. Either way, she deactivates the mine as Connolly bursts in, and he and Nat get into a Donnybrook. McAllister screams at the two and throws a grenade at them. They separate it into the next room, but A, the grenade isn't fused, and B, Tommy orders McAllister not to kill Connolly. With Connolly trussed up and Tommy free, Tommy tells Connolly that Maggie deserves what everyone deserves, a chance at life. They then return to Noonan's where McAllister says there is good news and bad news. The good news is the CIA are willing to put Maggie in witness protection in exchange for what they have on Truman. They want to hang him out to dry but make it look like he was rogue. McAllister, Tommy and Nat, however, are on their own. They will have to flee the country. That's the good news. The bad news is Truman is holed up around Gotham in old World War II supply tunnels with an army of men. But Tommy knows about all the tunnels, not just the World War II ones. He knows where all the bootlegging tunnels are that connect under the city. With Truman alive, Tommy knows they aren't getting out of Dodge. They need to go after him. Uh, More tension building in the opening scene when McAllister tries to deactivate the mine as we keep cutting between her dialogue when she's she's clearly just speaking to keep Nat focused on what, what she's doing. And then cutting back to close-ups of Nat just getting steadily sweatier. Yeah. Which was, was a nice touch. And uh, we learn here that the FBI are willing to turn on Truman as long as they can do so without it making them look bad. Yeah. Because at this point, Truman has just killed far too many people in his quest to get bloodlines to work. Um, Tommy's a conversation is actually quite enlightening. Tommy's a pretty black and white guy. Which is why Superman took a liking to it. Yeah. Possibly. Because Superman's quite black and white, really, isn't it? Um, we had the of the I Sing, the issue of Hitman that we covered in Happy Birthday, Superman. Yeah. But there was also a, a JLA Hitman team-up yeah. that was published after this. Uh, where Clark Kent investigated what kind of man Tommy was. Mm. Because... Kent is convinced that he, he is vaguely heroic because he saves people's lives in that, doesn't he? Yeah. And Tommy was a killer and a bastard, but he was a human bastard with deep-set beliefs and convictions. Mm. And Clark gets to know him through his investigation. Um, I actually envy people like Tommy in real life. Okay. You know, people who are so sure that their particular belief system is right... Right. And nothing ever shakes them from that. Mm. And they never question themselves. I change my opinion every day. Well, Tommy's just the kind of person who you're either good or you ain't. Yeah, I like ain't. Well done. Yeah. Learn to say ain't. <laughs> See, that's the kind of... I've kind of... 
made my uh, vocabulary match that of Garth Ennis's. <laughs> or oh, Firefly. Of, yeah. <laughs> Preacher and Firefly. Yeah, totally, totally. They've right. had a huge impact on my vocabulary. Yeah, because they're great. Uh, this was an excellent issue. This was back to, to full to full speed. Flashbacks are out of the way. Tommy's free. Story moves into high gear. Ennis seems to have a deep distrust of big government. Yeah. The corruption of people in power is a common theme in his work. But he never... But, he, but even he admits that there are some decent people in these places. Mm. And as such, we have the setup for Maggie's escape, Truman's fall, and the final confrontation. It's all very gung-ho and exciting tinged with tragedy because we know from the previous flash forward that Tommy and Nat don't make it out of this alive. Unless Ennis is selling us the idea people only think they're dead. Which it could still go either way at this point. Yeah. I don't think we ever thought that it was going to go either way. No. I know I certainly didn't think they were coming out of this alive. I always thought this was a very wild bunch. Oh, Butch and Sundance. Well, they say. Well, that's when we get to the last issue. I want to point that out. It's, uh... But... Um, that's a good one, this one. Yeah, this is the last setup issue. Yes. It's just been... It's balls out action This has been now, six so. issues of setup. It's not been badly written, and it's... Oh, no, been by no means. But the last th- two issues now... Yeah. It sounds so bad when I say it like that. Six issues of setup, two issues of action. I know, but it, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, uh, there are any number of other writers. I mean, just the other day, I was, they've announced Secret Wars is going to have nine issues instead of eight. Oh, okay. And those may be pithy on Facebook again. I'm not surprised. But five five issues in and bugger all's happened. Yeah. But with Garth Ennis, it doesn't feel like bugger all's it's happening. It's been a really slow burn, but it's never once seemed painful, and the the ending to it yeah. is satisfying enough to justify it. And it's it's one of them, 2001, I suppose, Odyssey, to me, doesn't feel like a slow mover. Yeah. It's 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 only how you put it together and how you, you make it work, and mm. he, he makes this work. I really enjoyed reading this so far. There's no good adverts in this one. Okay. No good adverts at all in, uh, in issue 58. Unless you want to watch Jennifer Lopez in the cell, which nobody in the right mind does. There's Dino Crisis, that's cool. Dino Crisis, good, is it? It's by the guys who did Resident Evil. Oh. It's Resident Evil, but with dinosaurs. I have never played it. I'm sure you have. You know, we never got the chance to do that game episode either. We didn't. That's a shame, isn't it? Anyway, issue uh, 59. Our three musketeers open fire amidst a hail of bullets on the cover. There's not really much else to say to it, is there? Connolly manages to break free of his bonds and calls the Gotham City Police Department, demanding backup for Monaghan at the very least. GCPD tell him to calm down, dear. There will be no backup, and Connolly, under the terms of his pension, will do nothing. Monaghan, McAllister and Nat hit Truman's underground bunker. The bullets fly as the trio take Truman's men unawares. In a back room they find Jeffrey Palmer burning papers like they're going out of fashion, but McAllister manages to pull out a videotape. Tommy and co. watch the unfolding horror as the men injected with the bloodlines virus mutate and tear each other apart, all the while aware of what is happening. Nat, sickened, blows Palmer's head off. There's a lot of that in this, sir. As the team prepare to take on Truman, Mark Navarone gets the drop on Tommy. Tommy freezes as Navarone pulls the trigger. Click. Tommy asks Navarone if he's ever pointed a gun at a man before, because it's shooting 101 to take the safety off. Tommy blows Navarone away. 
At that moment, Truman's heavily armed security team hit Tommy, Nat, and McAllister. Tommy leads them down what they think is a dead end as he has Nat plant a grenade at a specific point against the wall. Nat then lets go with some gas grenades and the trio disappear down the bootlegging tunnels. Tommy is pissed they didn't get at Truman, but Nat points out they stopped the bloodlines thing. McAllister says they accomplished nothing. Truman will simply get another scientist to analyse the alien DNA, and he'll be more gung-ho than ever now to kill Maggie and them. They put it to the vote. All parties decide to go back to the original plan, hand Maggie to the CIA and then get the hell out of Dodge. Maggie takes off to arrange the chopper, whilst Tommy and Nat go for one last beer at Noonan's. Uh, opening with another flashback, we find out how Noonan saved Connolly, which we talked about earlier on, so we don't have to, to rehash that. Uh, and Connolly's told to back off. The heroes, if that's what Monaghan and Nat are, stand alone. Mm-hmm. Which is the way it always is. Yeah. The hero stands alone. <laughs> as the mighty David Hasselhoff has put it in yeah. that song, whatever it's called. What is that called? It's from Kung Fu Panda, yeah, isn't it? It's just Kung Fu. Kung Fu, not Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> two completely different things. <laughs> but you can see how I get the two confused. Yeah, before I could pull the trigger, I was bit by a radioactive panda and struck by lightning. <laughs> a radioactive panda. So what do you do then? Just spend all your time scratching and eating leaves? Yeah, well, what you do is you enter a bar and you eat, you shoot and you leave. <laughs> And you eat some leaves. <laughs> yeah. And then they try and get to shag a female panda. <laughs> that's how it works, isn't it? Okay. I think that's how it works, yeah. Uh, I do wonder how much of Tommy's horror at seeing the bloodline stuff is recognising that this would have been his fate if not for the one in a million chance that the bloodlines thing worked on him. Yeah. Because he is that one in a million, isn't he? Yeah. The terror that he was a tiny bit off of being one of them. Yeah. So that was quite a good moment. Yeah. Were all three of them. I mean, there's a slightly comical aspect of the panel of the three of them stood there with the mouths open going... Yeah. It's, that's kind of a bit comical, but it, it works when you see the next page and you see what the Bloodlines guy is. He's a bit gross, isn't he? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, so, you know. Excellent use of shadows to hide most of it. Yes, and to hide his penis. <laughs> That's what you meant, isn't it? It's not, but yeah. If you I presume it's it's still there. If you want to swing slightly to the right, unless sure. unless it's like what's his name, unless it's like the fly. Yeah, and he's keeping it in a jar <laughs> in the in the medicine cabinet. You ever seen the fly? Yes, great movie. Jeff Goldblum, love a bit of Jeff Goldblum. Um, action-packed lead-up to the finale. Like Michael said, it ties up some loose ends, leaves others for the final issue proper. Navarone's a tad anticlimactic. I guess it makes sense. Like, yeah, it's it's not as satisfying as it's been built up to. But, you know, he's always wanted to be the hardened killer his dad was, but... But isn't. He's he's good at it, but he can't... When it comes to shooting dead bodies, he can't look him in the eye. Yeah. He's just a, a proxy soldier. And so when the time comes to it, he's too green. Yeah, and Tommy's always been a lucky son of a as well. Yes, and that's very lucky. And this is very, very lucky. But they do actually point that out in, in one place, don't they? We, we've had the kind of look that make James Bond envy. Yeah. That's got to run out sooner or later. So that, that ties in with that as well. So that's another callback as well. Yeah. So as well as showing this was the last time his look held out. Mm. He's not going to get this lucky again. We still get the feeling this not going to end well. They didn't accomplish anything here. No. Really. They slowed it down a bit. 
Truman's still after him, the bloodline's DNA still in his possession, and now he'll be gunning for them worse than ever. As with Butch and Sundance, leaving the country looks like it's the only option left open to them at that point. And we all know how well that worked out for those two, don't we? Mm. Didn't end well in any way. Uh, ads in this one. Ads in this one are quite... The Cell again. Seven. Which is quite a good film. I quite like the Seven. Uh, Superman must be angry because he's got the glowing red eyes of anger. Mm-hmm. As he turns up a newspaper. He, he looks like he's squeezing yeah. out a big turd. Yes, that looks like a Stuart Immerman cover, doesn't it? Well, he is credited. Oh, is he? Mm-hmm. All right. Fair enough. Oh, Peter David wrote one. I didn't know Peter David wrote um, a Superman comic. Lex Luthor's Secret Files and Origins is that for. Superman, all his mighty, vaunted strength, and Superman tears a newspaper in half. Have you ever tried turning um, foam directories? There are. Yellow pages. Yeah. yeah, I was watching an episode of Lois and Clark. The new adventures of Superman for a palace of glittering delights that's gone up now. Right. But there was a really brilliant bit in where Clark has to rip a card up. Okay. And your mum's watching it with me going, he struggled ripping that card. <laughs> He's not Superman! That was really funny, because that's the kind of stuff that your mum notices. Mm-hmm. It's a that. toy! Yeah. <laughs> uh, Batman Hollywood Night is a three-issue prestige from it. Else was by Bob Layton and Dick Giordano. That looks good. Bob Layton, that looks pretty cool. All these cool comics I've never read. <laughs> and then Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith's Room on Green Arrow, which was also pretty good. Some bits were a bit questionable. Right. Although I do like Onomatopoeia. I think he's a great villain. Oh, is he in Green Arrow? Yeah, he started right. in Green Arrow. Yeah, he's quite good. A couple of action figures like Dead Man and Etrigan. And there's a, is there a Phantom Stranger one? Does the Phantom? Oh no, it's the Spectre. I was going to say a Phantom Stranger action figure would just show up. Tell all your other action figures that there are things he's not meant to know and disappear, wouldn't he? I think there was a Fancy Stranger one. Because there's a Zatanna one and a John Constantine one. Oh, right. That okay. are better than the current Zatanna and John Constantine figures. Yeah, fair enough. What I, was the monarchy? I don't know. It's a Wildstorm book, anyway. Not the Patriarchy, just one of them. <laughs> that it? Yeah. Uh, Justice League action figures all look quite interesting, I'm sure. And that's pretty much it, isn't it? Mm. Nothing, uh, the nothing solicited cover for the last issue is different. It's, it's only different in the, the background, isn't it? Yeah. In, in the main, in the real cover, they walk off into a bright white light. In the solicited cover, there are, it actually looks like they're walking into the sun, so the sun's light rays are, yeah. are beaming around. Well, it looks like they're walking into a bright white light on the solicited one, but on the real one, it's just like they're walking into white. Yeah, they're white. walking into the fade out. Yeah, yeah that's fair enough. Issue 60's cover, as we've said, leaving the guns on the table, an empty pint glass is Tommy and Nat walk into a bright white light. If that doesn't signpost what's going to happen, mm. nothing does. You ready for the synopsis for the final ever Hitman? Going to get all teary. Uh, yes, yes we are. Tommy and Nat sit in Noonan's and ponder. It may be time for Butch and Sundance. You know, blow town, leave it all behind, for good this time. Maggie tells Tommy she wants to name her child after him. Tommy tells her that his name came from nothing and means even less. Maggie isn't so sure. Outside, Connolly and two of GCPD's finest stand and follow orders. They watch. Truman orders that Bloodline's experimentation continues. They still have over 200 men. Project Bloodline suffered a setback, nothing more. Besides, all of this is without agency approval. If Maggie Lorenzo testifies, it's the chur for all of them. McAllister's FBI contact comes through. A chopper, as promised, and the witness protection people are waiting for Maggie. As soon as her testimony is on record, she's gone. In the bar, Nap notes that Tommy is a tad more downbeat than usual. 
Tommy ponders his life and his decisions and wonders why Nat has stayed with him. Nat says that while Tommy may never have killed a good guy, he's not sure he can make the same claim. Tommy says he's not 100% sure he can either. Tommy and Nat say their goodbyes to the crew at Newton's and leave for the rendezvous. Street's empty. If McAllister's on time, they may make it. They cover Maggie as they stride down the road. Then all hell breaks loose. Tommy and Nat are set upon from all sides. Bullets rain down as Nat protects Maggie and Tommy returns fire. First wave are taken out, but a sniper blows Tommy's hand off. Tommy starts to go into shock, muttering, Sniper, Sniper, over and over again. Nat drags his sorry ass off as McAllister's chopper descends and she blows the sniper away with some nifty shooting of her own. The chopper banks to land as Nat, Tommy and Maggie round a corner, right to a waiting troop. Nat takes a bullet to the chest and enraged takes out the rest of the men. With the chopper down, they run for it, but Nat stumbles and falls. Tommy gets Maggie to the chopper, but Nat begs Tommy to kill him. He doesn't want to be a bloodline subject. Tommy looks at the chopper and back at Nat. Troops round the corner on his friend. All the troops. Tommy looks at McAllister and tells her to get Maggie to safety. Then he runs. On the road out of Gotham, Teagle calls Tommy an idiot. On the rooftops, Connolly drops his badge and gun and walks away. As the chopper takes off, Maggie calls Tommy a stupid bastard. Amidst a hail of gunfire, Tommy Monaghan runs back to his best friend. A lucky shot from Tommy pierces Truman's skull and kills him dead, but Tommy himself is gunned down. He falls right next to his fallen comrade. As he closes his eyes for the last time, Nat asks, what does Tommy see? It's Noonan's bar. Drinks are on the house, and there ain't no closing time. Well, you gotta leave your to the door. Oh! How sad was that? Yep. Um, never has a series telegraphed its ending so well as with the line, I think it might be time for Butch and Sundance. Because that's how it's going to end. Yeah. They ain't getting up, they ain't walking away, there ain't no happy endings. And it's quite sad once you, as the reader, works out that that's the last pint. Yes. Well, do they not have another one? Yeah, they have a shot. Oh, yeah, they do have, they have a shot together, don't they? But that's Literally. Hey! <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's the it. last drink here. For the drink at Noonan's. You have to think how well they can hold the rail if they're drinking this much and then going out into a gunfight. Yeah, the proper men. I mean, it must be a bit hard to be a hitman who sees three of these targets. <laughs> Shoot the one in the middle. Sounds <laughs> 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 works any time, doesn't it? Um, I don't know what they're talking about when he tells Hacken that the British call tic-tac-toe exiosis. No, we don't. We call it noughts and crosses. Yeah, I I was a bit confused about that, and I thought maybe he's taking the piss. It is entirely possible because Hacken's response is. Why do they call it Axios? Hacken's not the smartest. He's so not the smartest person in the room. I no. just thought of it as maybe he's just messing him around. Yeah, but knots and crosses would have worked just as well. Yeah. If it, the ant is, why do they call it that? Would still work. If anything, I think it's a bit. You know, why do they call it tic tac toe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why do they call it tic tac toe? I don't know. I'm not going to clue either. If you want to explain to us, oh, you wouldn't get us an email before we finish now. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. It's getting one of those things that we're just never going to know. Yeah, man was not meant to know. <laughs> Thank you, Phantom Stranger. I do appreciate that. Uh, the dialogue in this issue is rich 
and packed with meaning. From Tommy telling Maggie not to call her child Tommy, to Tommy telling Natty wished he'd not been bothered with what a man should say and told Sean Noonan that he was like a father to him. Nat responds by saying Sean knew. He didn't yeah. need to tell him. And I like the bit about Maggie calling her son um, Tommy. Because to him, it's a bad name coming from a bad place. But to her, she sees it as she's her, he's her hero, a name of hope. Yeah. So that was a, yeah, lovely piece of dialogue though mm. from Ennis. He actually he actually nails the dialogue. Here. If I have a complaint about this arc, and we have to have one, I think right. it's, it's characteristic. Truman isn't really well developed as a bad guy, mm. is he? Ennis is at his best when he fleshes out the adversaries as much as the protagonist, something he excelled at in Preacher, but also in War Stories, yeah. where he did that really good issue about a heroic German soldier. Yeah. Even though they were on the wrong side of history, as far as the German was concerned, he was fighting for his country. Yeah. So that was an interesting issue it's of War Stories. one of those things where it doesn't matter what colours, they're still boys. Yeah. And it's... it's Truman's just the bad guy here, though. Yeah, it's... He's portrayed as the bad guy and, you know, a bit of a bastard, but he's never portrayed as the bad guy. He's never earned his right to be the bad guy of the last story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. He's hissable and reprehensible, but even his death's anticlimactic. Yeah. He's Tommy not, gets off a lucky shot that shoots him. He's not earned the right to be the last bad guy. He's not earned the right to kill Tommy and that, and he's not earned the right to die in the final scene. Yeah, see, the the, the sad thing the thing with pre, uh, with Hitman, sorry, is that they kill everybody off. Yeah. So there's no one they could really bring pre- back to be the bad yeah, guy. Yeah, preaches the happy ending that Hitman never had. Then Hitman was never gonna have. But even even Hitman's got a happy ending. You think? Yeah. Yeah. Because right. yeah, it's sad that they die, but they're back at Noonan's with all the friends. Hmm. Yeah, alright, fair enough. I can go with that, that's okay. A nice moment between Nat and Tommy when Nat implies that being with Tommy has made him a better person. Mm. Because all of Ennis' work is about friendship. Yeah. On some level, isn't it? You know. Beta can talk! Yeah. I, I thought when I read that the first time, that it was kind of kind of bittersweet to see that the one time Beta says something other than I am Groot. <laughs> was after they leave and they never get to hear that. No. Goodbye, boys. Yeah. And it, it was quite sad that it was a goodbye. Hmm. The one thing he says that isn't I on beta is goodbye. Yeah. It was quite sad that one time. Yeah. Very, um... Very sad. Um, it's not often Tommy uses his powers. Ennis wrote them out pretty early on, saying they gave Tommy a migraine when he used them. But X-ray vision sure comes in useful when trying to spot hidden gunmen. Yeah. And it's nicely depicted by Ennis as well. Uh, not by Ennis, by McCrea. Mm. I really do like how he depicts the X-ray vision. That's quite cool. Uh, and Tommy getting his hand blown off. Yeah. That was like, oh, shit. So quickly as well. Yeah. Despite the fact that he was a sniper. Yeah, and him going into shock. Yeah. Is like, throughout this entire series, Tommy's been quite implacable and cool. Mm. And to actually see him go into shock when that happens to him, Nat ends up being the one who keeps it all together, doesn't he? Yeah. Nat's the one who holds it all together and drags his sorry ass out of the way. Tommy does does kind of go into shock a bit, doesn't he? Mm. That was a nice moment, that. I thought that was good. Likewise, Nat being shot is just very accidental. They just turn the corner at just the wrong moment. Yeah. And the guy puts a bullet in his chest. An FBI guy just gets lucky about it, doesn't he? Mm. There's, there's not... 
Tommy's mentioned, like we've said in prior issues, that they've been very, very lucky, and this had to to run out sooner or later. And what's nice about this is, well, Nat's not asking him to go back and save him. No, Nat just wants him to shoot him. Mm. So it's like, could Tommy have shot and killed him from the helicopter because he was a sniper? Yeah, of course. And Tommy could have had his happy ending. Mm. I mean, he's got no left hand anymore. But would Tommy have had his happy ending if he'd have left? If he'd have left Nat? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. The last five or six pages are just um, having the moment and we get a reprise of the first page five of, of the first issue where we said he spells out the ending mm. and when he's telling Nat his dream that they're back at Noonan's and everyone's there and it's happy hour and drinks around the house there's no closing time you've got to leave your guns at the door and that's what we see on the last page and cool they both go mm-hmm. lovely text page from Garth Ennis where he talks about uh, the run of the issue and from John McCrea and the issue actually closes with a number of, of posters, pin-up pages by uh, Doug Manke and Glenn Fabry, Steve Dillon, uh, Frank Quitley, mm-hmm. Frank, and outside Wonder Woman's door. Which is a joke that just never gets boring. No, no, Derek Robertson did one, and uh, Gary Leach did one. A lot of people drew Teagle in a bikini. Yeah. For some reason. I don't know why, uh, I don't know why that would I be. I like Derek Robertson's. What, Johnny McCrea drawing Bueno? With Bueno set the toilet. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> bueno. What did you think of the last one? Yeah, it's... I mean, it's one of those where they don't solve anything. No. Um, well, everything gets wrapped up. Really. Maggie's in witness protection. Yeah, but... McAllister's alive, so she'll make sure that she's okay. Bloodlines is still a thing, despite Truman being dead. Yeah, Bloodlines... Well, that's presumably somebody at DC could bring Bloodlines back at some point if they'd wanted yeah. to. I mean, I, for me, the best thing about this is they didn't bring back a Hitman title in New 52. Because had they done that, I think we would have stormed the New York DC offices and burned it to the ground. It was bad enough what they did with John Constantine. Yeah. But I can kind of live with different versions of John Constantine. Constantine isn't one specific person's vision. Alamo created him, but Jamie Delano wrote the first comics and then Ace took yeah. over and, and stuff like that. Hitman was Garth Ennis's work. And if they even suggest bringing this back... Which they kind of have done. Without Garth Ennis. It was crap. Yeah. When did they bring it back? Section A. Well, that's still ongoing. It's not like they brought Hitman back. True. The Section yeah. 8 characters still lived. It had the two issues. Yeah. Um, Hitman JLA. He were, he had a cameo in Grant Morrison, JLA. And he was still alive at that point. Yeah, Lobo, that stupid bastic. Was that right. after? No, that was why the was series that the was the crossover still, they had yeah, together, right? Hitman yeah. Lobo. Yeah. Where basically Garth Ennis did all the things that makes me hate Lobo, but makes yeah. them funner. Yeah. Because basically he just took the mech, didn't he? Yeah. For an entire issue. This last issue, though, is quite... It, it's... You know, they don't wrap everything up. There are still the loose threads out there, and ultimately, do they win? Mm-hmm. They have the victory of getting what's of Truman's dead. Away, but... Yeah, they've killed Truman, but have they actually stopped it? Have they won? Yeah, but... And you've got to ask yourself as well... Well, so what's Maggie testifying about and why is she going to witness threat protection now if Truman's dead? Yeah. I think it would have been much more satisfying for Truman to stay alive and then have Maggie testify him and then get sent to jail. Yeah. 
and maybe in jail, Hacken goes visiting her. Yeah. Or okay. Beto. Yeah. Or something like that. Or Joe Bueno. Yeah. Or is he dead at this point? Probably. He's probably dead at this but, point. But, you know, ultimately it's it's not it's not about Truman. It's not about no, it's anyone else. It's it's the story of Tommy Monaghan. And, and Nat. That gets wrapped up. Mm. And it's it's a satisfying ending. Yeah. And he does good endings. He does. I mean, it's the complete polar opposite to another ending he wrote. That we're going to cover next time. Exactly. Yeah, very. Do you know? I did get a little bit emotional when I read issue sixty. Yeah, it did. It got to me. It's his character beats. It is. Ennis is a bastard when it comes he to is. character beats. He's, he's exceptionally, exceptionally good. Isn't he? So Hitman ends not with a whimper, but with the sounds of gunfire. It couldn't end any other way, really. From the early days, Ennis made it quite clear that Tommy and his crew weren't getting out of this alive, and here we see the culmination of a story quite remarkable in US comics. A mainstream DC title set in the mainstream DCU that had a beginning, a middle, and an ending. It's made all the more remarkable in that the series and the character has stayed dead. There have been no resurrections, no reboots, no half-assed attempts by lesser writers to bring back Tommy Monaghan, either in story or via the New 52. As such, Hitman stands as a testament to what a mainstream DC comic can be when it's not hampered by having to stay into the second act perpetually, constantly retelling the same stories with different creative types, few of which really care about the character or the book. With Hitman, Ennis and McCrea took a laughable concept that nobody respected, had an awful lot of fun with it, and against all expectations created a boot that was as heartfelt as it was juvenile. It made us like the unlikable, root for the bad guys and feel a part of Noonan's bar. The best thing I can say about Hitman is that rereading it for this episode, I still got a tad emotional in the end. This series did what all good fiction needs to do. It made us laugh, it made us cry, it made us cur. That it was never expected to survive made it all the more special. So raise a glass to Nat the Hat, Beto, Sean Noonan, Ringo Chen, Hacken, Sixpack and all the rest down at Noonan's. This last round's on Tommy. He killed people. It's a living.
Beginning comes from some other beginning. 